first-time guest, yeah, your first-time guest, you can meet Pastor Mike and his wife Julie in the back corner after service. We got a small gift for you, and again, we are excited you're here. We got more details and stuff coming up after service. Let's keep worshiping Jesus, though. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. All creation waits with an expectation.
can't tell you enough how good you are to us father thank you for loving us so very much god and for giving us this time together as we worship you and honor you this morning god have your way in everything that's done and god will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for every bit of it you're worthy more than worthy just be with us and have your way this morning is our prayer in jesus holy name and all god's children say it Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is not only good, he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Jesus Christ did for me, and he'll do for you what nobody else can do. Amen. He is our chain breaker as we sing here. Let's just give him praise this morning. Amen. He is worthy. He's worthy of so much more than a hand clap. He's worthy of so much more than a song. He's worthy of whatever he asks us to do. It's so good to see you here today. Thank you so much, Pastor Mike and worship team. Are we not a blessed people that we get to come and do this every week? And, and not only that, to sing God's praises and meet with the Lord. If all we had was somebody singing like me who can't carry a tune in a bucket, we'd still be blessed because God's good. But the level of talent that God has sent to this church just helps us elevate that praise even more. And for that, we're so very, very thankful. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter number 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1, we're beginning in verse 35 here in just a minute. Have you ever tried to cut something with a dull knife, and you just seem to be hacking and sawing, and you're not getting anywhere? Have you ever been out for target practice? How many of you already noticed the target on the platform this morning? Have you ever been out for target practice and the sight was off on your gun or the sight was off on your bow and you kept missing what you were after and you got to fix that sight and got to sharpen your aim? For the next five weeks, I want us to think about and consider how can we as a church family sharpen our aim to accomplish the biblical purposes that God has called us to do. We don't want to miss the target. We certainly don't want to do that. We don't want to just hit the target in the white spot. But what is our goal, church? What are we trying to do when you do target practice? 
We want to hit that bullseye. That's what we're shooting for. And as we're going to be talking in the next five weeks about the biblical purposes that God has given us as a church and as individuals, they're kind of like concentric circles that move closer and closer in until we get to that bullseye. And that bullseye, I'll just go ahead and tell you, is living a life of worship, that everything that I do honors the Lord. Because worship is so much more than a song. Worship is about my life and the way that I live my life for the Lord Jesus. So I want to be sure that my aim is right. And I oftentimes need help with my aim. You know, I recently had hand surgery. Some of you remember that. And one of the reasons I did that was, well, to be able to make sure I can hold that grandbaby when he gets here and not drop him. But also because I, I'm just not able to shoot a gun with my right hand. I'm having to shoot left-handed, and I'm a right-handed person. And for whatever reason, God's still working on me. I still can't do it. The hands still reek. But I'm going to trust the Lord anyway. Target practice is one thing, but when it comes to the aims and the goals that God has given me in the Word of God, I can't afford to miss that. I don't have to have surgery to do that. I need to let the Holy Spirit of God do heart surgery on my heart. So what are our five biblical purposes? If you've been here since I've been here, one of the very first sermon series that I preached here as your new pastor was, what is your aim? And we examined these five biblical purposes. And people ask me over and over, what is your goal? Where are we going? What, what are we trying to accomplish here as a church? And sometimes I feel like I sound like a broken record, but when people ask me, that tells me we hadn't said it enough. So we're going to be revisiting those aims over the next five weeks, and we take those aims. Now hold your place in John chapter 1 is where we're going to land. We take those five biblical aims from the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment. It's been rightly said if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every single time. And so as we revisit these, and some of you were here, but the reality is I get it. You know, I think back on my Christian life when I was saved as a new believer and in church. The main things I remember in church are the experiences and the relationships and the times of worship and serving the Lord together, not necessarily sermons that I heard. So repetition is the mother of learning as we revisit these over the next five weeks. And maybe you were new with us, and God has sent us a number of new people, six new members last week, some more coming today. So for you, you're getting in on the, on the ground floor. What we're asking the Lord to do, why do we exist? Why on earth are you here? Why is this church on this hill since 1874? Why are you here in life at this specific time? So we're going to take these five purposes from two very known, two well-known passages of Scripture. The Great Commission, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That is the premise. Because not only is he good, he's king of all kings and lord of all lords, and he has all authority. So when I place myself under the authority of the one who has all authority, I cannot go wrong. That's the premise, the authority of Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we don't just stop there. We're not just trying to make decisions for Jesus. Our goal is to make disciples for Jesus. There is a difference there. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As we get in on these biblical purposes, we do it in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, on the authority of Jesus. And he's promised to be there with us. What better winning formula can you imagine? We're doing what he's called us to do. We're doing what he will equip us to do. Where he's going to do that with us. We cannot go wrong. And then the greatest commandment in Matthew 22 and verse 36, they asked the Lord, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul and all your mind. That's everything about me. It's not just a little dabble, do you? It's not just Sunday morning Christianity or even Wednesday night Christianity. With everything about Mike Dura, I am to love the Lord my God with my heart, my emotions, my mind, and my spirit. And another passage says, and even your strength, the way that we look after our physical body is a testimony to the glory of God. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where we get our purpose statement as a church. At Airline Baptist Church, here's why we exist. We'll break these down over the next five weeks. We exist to connect people with God. That is evangelism. Now, we try to use simple words because unchurched people might not know what that means or it might scare them off. So we try to use simple words to connect. We all understand what connect means. We want to connect people with God. If you know Jesus as the Lord of your life, He's in you, and your job is to connect Him with, with to, connect, to connect lost people with the Lord, those who don't know Him. Our second purpose is to connect with one another. We'll talk about that next week. That's fellowship, doing life together, life on life. I'll go ahead and say it this week. You've heard me say it before. If you are not physically able to come for Bible study at 9.15 and church at 10.30, I said I'm of the opinion, I want you to come to Bible study at 9.15. That's where we do life on life together in our life groups. If you're not in a life group, let me encourage you to be a part of those. That's where relationships are built. Now, we can build some relationships in this big old room, but the reality is when you do life together. When somebody's having surgery and that life group comes along and prays for them. When somebody goes through a, a crisis in the family or a death and that life group comes over and brings them food. Well, I'm preaching next week's message, so I'll back up. And our next purpose is to grow in our relationship with the Lord. That's discipleship. To serve God by serving others. That's ministry. And ultimately, to honor God with our life. Well, it's baseball season, and because of the events of the last few weeks in, in our country, we may have mixed emotions about Major League Baseball and baseball season. But if you're a baseball fan, one of the most frustrating things about baseball is when you can get some hits, and you get runners on base, and you leave them there. What do you call that there or what? They're stranded. You don't get any credit for that. I mean, it may help their batting average, but the goal is to touch every base. So we also use not only a target, but a, do we have a baseball diamond today or not? I don't know if we have that or not, but a baseball diamond, we, we're going to picture that as we move along. So evangelism, connecting people with God, that's kind of first base for us. And we move around these bases by living out our biblical purposes. So evangelism, does anybody really care that people around you are going to hell? Does anybody really care that people in your family that you love and you do life with, does it bother you that they're going to hell? I can't tell you as an old recycled youth pastor how incredible what it does to my heart to see these young people right down here, right down front. Boy, that fires me up and that blesses me. Does it bother you? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're down front. Does it bother us that when we go to school and time's running out, can you get an amen right? We're coming to the end of the school year. Time's running out. The reality is almost every school year, when you go back in the fall, somebody's not going to be there. Maybe they moved away, maybe their parents got a divorce, or God forbid, a terrible crisis came into their life. If this is the last few weeks you have to impact your friends for Jesus, do we care about that? How are they ever going to know if we don't tell them? We can't expect lost people to act like us. We can't expect lost people to live like they got Jesus inside of them because they don't. We can't expect lost people to figure it out on their own because they cannot. Now, I understand Romans 1 says even the creation gives glory to God. There's evidence of a creator even in creation. And I believe as you respond to the light God gives you, God gives you more light. We are called, church, to carry the light and get out there and get after them. Millions are crying. They're waiting to hear year after year saying, come over here. Whether it's overseas in an international mission trip, 
whether it's across the street or just across the table at the lunchroom. So we're going to land today in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. If you're physically able, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? We just studied this passage together in our Tuesday morning staff meeting in a book that we're doing. John chapter 1 and verse 35. The following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. They had a grasp of the Old Testament prophecies. They knew there had to be a perfect sinless lamb to pay the sacrifice for our sin debt. They'd been waiting and looking for Messiah, and John said, look, there he is. He's with us. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Well, you've been waiting on the Messiah. Sure enough, you want to follow him. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see. Jesus says, come and see, he said. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, not Andrew the great evangelist, not Andrew the great athlete, not Andrew the most outgoing guy ever. He was, he was just Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon, who we know as Peter, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. What a beautiful reality. God used ordinary Andrew to go and get his brother and bring him to Jesus and turn the world upside down with the good news of the gospel. Pray with me, church. Father, I pray today that you will just encourage us. You will remind us that you've already empowered us. Fill us with your spirit, empty us of ourselves, and God, I pray, we'll be so full of you that we just can't help but declare the awesome things you've done for us, knowing that what you've done for us, you want to do for other people as well. So, Lord, motivate us, empower us, equip us that we will be willing to get out of our comfort zone and connect people with you. Because, Lord, we understand the reality of your word that a thousand years from today, all that matters not our bank accounts, our batting averages. All that matters is do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you accomplish eternal things in this place today, and we're going to give you praise for it in advance. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Look on the back of your worship guide. There's an outline to help you follow along and fill in the blanks. Number one, write this down. God wants you to have a personal relationship with him. Now, I understand most of you in this building today would probably tell me if I went row by row and asked, I think the majority of you, many of you have already told me, yes, pastor, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What is a relationship? Is a relationship just a Facebook friend or an Instagram follower? Well, I mean, you can talk to people and share scripture, but you don't really know them. It was a relationship more than that. I have a relationship with my wife, not just because I spotted that beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl in Athens, and I said, God, that's what I've been praying for right there. Blonde-headed, blue eyes, that's just my preference. I'm not, nothing spiritual about that. It's just what I asked God to give me, and mostly one who loves Jesus, and there she is. And God gave me the desire of my heart, and I fell head over heels in love with her, not like I was walking by and I fell in a hole and I accidentally did something. No, I was immediately drawn to her, the Jesus, not just her outward beauty, but her inward beauty. And that was 33 years ago. We've been married as long as Jesus walked on the earth. 
But you know, the reality of that is, I love that woman more today than I did way back then. You know why? Because we've grown in that relationship. My relationship with Jesus, you say, point number one, preacher, I already know the Lord. What are you doing to cultivate that relationship? We'll talk more about that in week three. We grow together in our walk with the Lord. This is the year of grow at Airline Baptist Church, the year of discipleship. This summer, we're going to spend about five weeks breaking that down in our life group lessons and our sermons and our daily devotions that we'll be asking some of you by the way, to help us write those daily devotions. But a relationship's got to take time to grow. Jesus told this ordinary group of guys in John 1, come and see. Come and see. People ought to be able to look at my life and your life and say, come on, y'all come with me. And they ought to watch you as you do life and say, there's something different about that joker. There's something different about that lady. They've got something inside of them that I don't have. And it ought to make them hungry and thirsty. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Salt makes people thirsty. The salt in us ought to make people thirsty for what we have. That is my personal testimony. That's how I came to know Jesus. It wasn't because somebody knocked on my door, gave me a Bible or a tract. It was because their lifestyle made me thirsty. That wasn't enough for me to get saved. I had to hear the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of, my, of Jesus for my sins, but it was their life that drew me to what they had. We ought to do that, that we can say to people, come and see, and they see Jesus in us. Now, rarely it can happen. Rarely, I've had people say, I think twice in my life, can you just tell me how to be saved? Man, you that's like saying sick him to a bulldog when somebody says that. But normally, and really both times I'd already cultivated a relationship with them. But normally it takes a while to cultivate that relationship. But sometimes you share Jesus with somebody and boom, the Spirit of God's gone before you. He's prepared them. Somebody else has planted a seed of the gospel in their life. Somebody else has watered that seed. And you just get to come along and make the harvest. Jesus told them, come and follow me. And he says, you got to love the Lord your God, all your heart. All your soul and all your mind, it's the first and greatest commandment. That is a relationship. Everything about you in surrender and sold out to Jesus. And a fair question is, well, how can holy God have a relationship with somebody like me? Now listen, you might think I'm a jerk. But I know I am. I know who puts on my britches. I know the sin that I struggle with. I know the temptations that I have. And all of us know our own more than anybody else. And so you may think, man, God can't have anything to do with a stinking sinner like me. Listen. He loves us too much to let us stay that way. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost and to help us grow in our relationship with him. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1 and verse 18 gives us this beautiful promise from God. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. My life was stained by sin, but that red blood of Jesus, it, that doesn't even make sense, but it's supernatural. God uses red to wash me whiter than snow. Though they're red like crimson, I'm make them as white as wool that's the reality of the gospel john 3 16 and i can tell you i love you and i do and if you were here last week i told all the guys in the room that i love y'all but i walked over to my boy the only begotten son i've got and said if it comes down to picking between him and all of y'all i hate it for you because i don't love anybody like i love that boy and he don't love anybody like he loves his boy that's the way we are as dads but god so loved the world that he didn't do what i told you i would do he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish that means you don't have to die and go to hell but you can have everlasting eternal life god wants to have a relationship with you that's why jesus said to andrew y'all come and see Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, 
That's easy. Talk's cheap. We can say it. But you got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you are saved. For it's by believing in your heart you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. There's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If he has saved you, he wants to use you to impact other people and to show them that they need a Savior. So if you have been saved, you ought to say it loud and proud and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, we keep saying all the time the best is yet to come. We believe the best is yet to come in the history of our church. We believe the best is yet to come. We know the best is yet to come when we see Jesus, when we get to heaven. We believe the sign, or I believe at least, I want to speak for everybody, but I believe the signs of the times. God says, when you see this kind of stuff happening in the world, get ready because I'm about to come again. Get ready because I'm about to rapture the church out of here, and those that, have, that we have not yet reached, we've not shared with, they're going to be left behind for a literal seven-year period of hell on earth. God says, get ready for that. You say, preacher, why hadn't he come back yet? Maybe, you, maybe you're 50, 60, 70 years old. You've heard that your whole life. Why has Jesus not come back yet? I can't really specifically answer that question, but I can tell you this much. We're closer now than we've ever been. It's like we see Bible prophecy in fast forward, really just in the last year, if you ask me, more than any other year of my life. And I can tell you on the authority of God's word, here's why he hasn't yet. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's being patient for your sake. If you're watching online this morning or you're going to download this later, you've never given your life to Jesus, he's being patient for your sake. But one day that patience is going to run out. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God so loved the world. That's everybody. All of the world. He wants everybody to be saved. He doesn't make us robots. If we're robots, what, real love is chosen. If I put a gun to my wife's head when I met her and said, young lady, you're going to love me whether you like it or not. Is that love or not? No. Real love is chosen. God wanted us to choose to accept his love and choose to love him. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Number two, write this down. And then God wants us to bring others to him. Because if it's the real deal, we're going to do that. If we're not doing that, you got to question, is it the real deal? Go back to our text, John chapter 1. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. He had experienced Jesus. He had knowledge of Jesus. It wasn't just a head knowledge. Of course, I believe he had probably studied under John. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. John said, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And immediately, I believe his life was transformed. And Andrew did what we ought to want to do. He went and got his brother, probably the one that was closest to him. He went and said, come on, Peter, you need to meet this guy, Jesus. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 says, he that wins souls is wise. Smartest thing you can do is point people to Jesus. I forget who it was. It was, I think one of our church members told me last week, I'm drawing a blank. They said, my daddy had a third grade education, but he's the smartest man I've ever known. You, don't have, you can have an education, you can have more degrees than a thermometer and be unwise in God's eyes. The smartest thing I can do, the smartest thing you can do is to win souls, according to Proverbs 11.30. To point people to Jesus, because I'm not taking a bank account, I'm not taking a car, I'm not taking any worldly possessions. I've got a collection of old family Bibles, some of them 100 years old. Can't take that to heaven with me. Whatever your prized possession, the only thing you can take to heaven with you is souls. The only thing that's going to matter a thousand years from today is souls. Who's thankful in this building somebody told you about Jesus. Can I get an amen up there? Aren't you thankful that somebody told you? And if somebody told you, we should turn around and tell other people about that. When you've experienced the ultimate joy, ultimate joy of living under conviction for me, 
laying in bed at night going, oh, God, please don't let me die. I think I've told you before that terrifying prayer that my mom had taught me to pray as a little boy. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should what? Die. That is terrifying for a child who doesn't know where you're going to go when you die. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The only way to know God's going to take your soul is to know your sins are forgiven and you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. If you entered into a contest and you won a sports car, would you keep that quiet or would you want to tell folks about that? I, I, I used to say I don't ever win anything, but I did before. I may have shared this with y'all, but I, my son was just a little boy and I went and had my oil changed in one of Robbins at an oil change place on Russell Parkway. And I just filled out a card. I thought I'd be cool if I win this trip to some, the Duraloop 500 in Phoenix, Arizona. I bet my little boy would enjoy that. Thought nothing of it. Started getting all these phone calls from Cox Cable, Cox Cable, Cox Cable. It was our, inter- it was our cable provider at the time. I don't think we had internet that I remember at that time. Thought, I, I resent that bill. I ain't paying any more. I'm not buying anything these people are trying to sell me. But they kept on calling. So finally I answered the phone. And they st- I said, look, I'm not buying any. I'm not paying any more. I don't like what I pay you now. And they said, sir, did you get your oil changed at an oil change place on Russell Parkway? I said, yes, I did. Did you register to win a trip to the Duraloop 500? I said, yes, I did. They said, what I'm trying to tell you is you won the prize. You won the trip to Phoenix, Arizona. Had to go and film a TV commercial for Channel 13 and make it. Here, I had never been to a race. I don't give two hoots about a race. But you know what I did, husbands? I thought, well, my little boy would like that, but I think I'd rather take my bride out there with me. John Michael was only about three, so he didn't get to go three or four. So I took my bride. We rented a red pickup truck and went to the Duralube 500 in Phoenix, Arizona. We went when it started. Start your engines. Those jokers took off. I had a book. She had a book. We got passes to the TNN hospitality tent. We spent most of the race reading and looking at the screen. I said, baby, it's about over. You want to go see the end? And we did. I told people, my uncle was a dadgum mad. He lives in Alabama, and he goes to all the races. He entered a million times, and he didn't win it. But I told people, I was on TV saying, hey, I want a trip to this. When something happens to you, you want to tell people. If you have even known me casually, in fact, if you only met me today for the first time and you've been listening, you already know that I got a grandson I'm real proud of. Parents, you can identify with this. We got a text a little while ago. They were on their way to church, walking out the door, and he started screaming his head off. He was ready to eat right then and there. So I don't know if they made it today or not. But I'm so proud of that boy. And I've said, if you don't want to see pictures of him, do not go look on my Facebook. Do not look on my Instagram because I'm going to talk about him. But that little boy couldn't die for my sins. And I couldn't die for White McCoy Dura's sins either. Only Jesus could do that. If you Listen, for those of us who raised our kids playing ball, my son played ball. I can't wait to see Wyatt play ball, t-ball right on up. If your boy was drafted by the Atlanta Braves, would you keep that quiet? Or would you want people, my boy's going to be starting for the Atlanta Braves. We tell people about things we're excited about. So what does that say to me? When I don't talk about Jesus, I must not be too excited about him. If I don't tell people about Jesus, I can say I'm saved, but either I'm not living in the reality of that, or I've allowed myself to backslide and take my eyes off the Lord, and other things become more important to me. I read that in my quiet time in Haggai chapter number one this morning. We pursue other things instead of the Lord, but we want to talk about things that are the most important to us. I guess it's okay to say what you're facing. Is it okay for me to share that with the church, Brother Charles, or is that private? Brother Charles is has surgery coming up. He has cancer in his eye. We met back here this morning. We prayed over Brother Charles and, and Miss Shirley. Both of them have physical problems. We're begging God to do something. If I found out one of you in this building had the cure for cancer and you let that man go through what he's about to go through, how much you got to hate somebody? How selfish would you be to let this man face surgery and all the things that are in the future for him if you had the cure for cancer? 
But if you had the cure for cancer and you shared that with Charles and God healed him, unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime, we're still going to die at some point. The cure for cancer is a wonderful thing I wish we can discover in our lifetime or the cure for COVID, either one. But in reality, we're all still going to die. We should be more focused on eternity than the temporary. So if I would share about my grandson or about your child or about the Braves or the cure for cancer, why would I not tell people about Jesus? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Did you get that? When does that power come upon you? At the moment of your salvation, when you repent of your sins and trust Christ to be the Lord of your life on the authority of God's Word. At that moment, the Spirit of God comes in and makes you that new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the the instruction of that verse is that then I want you to get away and pray about being a witness. Pray and see if that's your spiritual gift to share the Lord. No, we all have different spiritual gifts, but the command to be a witness, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So what's your part? What's my part? The task of reaching billions of lost people in the world is overwhelming. The task of reaching your, just your school is overwhelming. The task of reaching my neighborhood is overwhelming. What can I do? I can't win everybody, but maybe the Lord will let me win somebody. What are some practical ways we can do that? I'm so glad you asked that question. This afternoon at 5 p.m., we're going to gather right out here in our fellowship hall for a brief time of prayer. Some of you don't know, but we do have a monthly prayer meeting on, on, a, on a Sunday. We moved it this week, this month because of Easter, I think. But we meet out there. We have a time of prayer. For the next several months, I've talked to Miss Katrina Bishop, who leads our prayer ministry. We're going to pray, and we're going to go. Pastor Mike Welburn has printed off streets of different neighborhoods with the names of people, if it's accurate, who who live in those homes for us to pray over those homes. We're going to pray, and we're going to go. And we're going to permeate those neighborhoods with prayer. We're going to walk house to house. We're going to leave an invite. We're not going to knock on the door. We're not going to ring the bell. That would scare some of you. If you're ever ready to go, witness more like that. Talk to us. We'll make that possible. But all I'm asking you to do is just pray and go. Because there is power in prayer. Prayer does things that we cannot do. I am convinced, ladies and gentlemen, as we go, as we pray over these homes, and the best I can estimate, we've already prayed over maybe about 400 homes already. If enough of us come today, wouldn't we love to hit 1,000? And if an average of three or four people live in each home, Airline Baptist Church is saying to this community, we love you enough. We're not just saying come and see. We're going to go and tell. We're going to get out there and love people. And we just leave an invitation that says, hey, there's a church in this community that cares about you and your family, and we're praying for you. If you have prayer requests, you email those to us. There's an email address, and we'll pray for those people. That is one of the easiest things that I know of we can do. We're going to pray, and we're going to go this afternoon. The other thing is just share your own personal testimony. You see, the greatest way we're going to grow Airline Baptist Church is not some big, fancy, expensive program that costs us thousands of dollars. There's a time and a place. I'm not saying we're never going to do that. But the greatest way we're going to grow this church or any church is people reaching people. Because not everybody's going to come here to a big event, but we got to get out there and love them. You've got contacts that will listen to you. They ain't going to listen to me, especially if they know I'm a preacher. I mean, it's like, get, get behind me. They're, they're scared of us for some reason, but they'll listen to you because you work with them, because of your family member. 
because you go to school with them, you do life with them. That's the way God's going to grow our church, life on life, people going and making disciples. So you share your testimony. Listen, I knew I was lost. I had no hope. I told you I prayed that prayer at night, terrified. If I died, I'd know where I'd go. And then I met the master. Then I had a personal relationship with the God of the universe, using young people in my high school to live out loud for Jesus and make me thirsty for what they had. I repented of my sins and made Jesus the Lord of my life. And here's how he makes my life different. I have peace now. I know I'm going to heaven. He speaks to me through his word. Where used to it was just black and red words on a page. Didn't mean anything to me. The greatest part of your personal testimony is the difference that Jesus makes in your life. I just did that in a nutshell. I challenge you to practice this. I usually write out my personal testimony at least once a year. Keeps it fresh for me. And I, I want to be able to share If I've only got just a few minutes to share it with somebody, you ought to practice getting it down to about two minutes. People don't need to hear me talk about all the horrible stuff I used to do. Now, maybe, depending on who you're talking to, that's a commonality that you have. And it's okay to say, listen, I, I've been where you've been. And I know God can set you free because he did me. But we ought to practice that. Prepare that. You don't have to have a 12-week course. You don't have to have a Bible degree. But God calls all believers to make disciples. And listen, a lot of us know people who say they're saved. There's no evidence of that in their life. I don't know their heart. But people, there's so many people who are in church today listening to a false gospel. Did you see the heresy that came out on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday of all days? A very prominent preacher right down the road in Atlanta, Georgia, preaching from the pulpit of Dr. Martin Luther King. I said, surely Dr. King turned over in his grave. When that got put out on social media, it's not just about the resurrection. Basically, if we do enough good deeds, we can save ourselves. Did y'all see that? I'm not making that up. Well, then the joker got hammered enough, he took it down. I'm glad he took it down, or his staff took it down. What I want him to do is repent of it and say it was wrong. The only way you can be saved is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Thousands of people are influenced by that man who's now a U.S. senator, by the way. So a lot of people, just because they're in church, just because they say they're saved, it does not mean they have a relationship with Jesus. So we've got to be faithful as we're not accountable. Listen, here's the, here's the liberating part. I can remember the very first person I ever shared Christ with after I got saved as a high school freshman. I know I was supposed to witness. I wanted to witness, but I was scared to death. And you say, why are we scared to do what we know we're supposed to do? It's called spiritual warfare. See, the devil don't want you to. The devil knows the most important thing you can do is share Christ with somebody, so he makes us nervous and fearful. And I stumbled and I fumbled through that, and the dude didn't get, did not get saved. I felt like somebody had taken all the air out of me. I'm like, Lord, I finally got up the nerve. I, I shared the gospel with this boy, and he didn't get saved. And the Holy Spirit had to teach me, Mike, you can't save anybody. Church, you can't save anybody, but we can be the messenger boys. We can be the messenger girls. All God says is you share, you plant, you water, and it's going to be God who gives the increase. Another practical way that we do that at Airline Baptist Church. A few weeks ago, attached to your bulletin, there may still be some out here in the foyer, I'm not sure, but Miss Carol can get them for you. We have these little invite cards. On one side of the invite card tells you when our services are, where we are, our phone number, our web address. On the back of that's the plan of salvation. If you're talking to somebody and you say, I don't know what to tell them, there's the Romans road. If you can read, you give them one and you keep one and say, hey, will you follow along with me and share with them? I'm telling you, sharing Jesus is how this church is going to grow. We cannot be satisfied with just a few people in this building. God didn't give us this building to sit this empty. But Andrew was just an ordinary dude. How many of you feel like you've been, let's be honest, you've been through life, you're known as so-and-so's little brother, so-and-so's little sister, so-and-so's big brother or sister. Is that any of you? Kind of like you've lived in the shadow of another, maybe you're just too humble to admit that, but some of us feel that way. 
Well, you know, Mike, I'm Michelle, I'm Michelle Harton's brother. People in Cordial who know my Spitfire sister, they know me as Michelle's brother. Um, and then I have a much younger sister. I'm April's big brother. Andrew was kind of that ordinary dude. He didn't write any books. If he preached any sermons, I don't know it. I don't know that he had any gift of eloquence, but what he did do, ordinary Andrew brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, and God used Simon Peter to preach some of the most powerful recorded messages in all of human history, and thousands of people came to Christ because ordinary Andrew went and brought his brother Simon Peter. So listen, you don't have to be the next Billy Graham. You don't have to be the next Lottie Moon. You don't have to be the next whoever. You just be an ordinary man or a woman, boy or girl, that God uses to bring somebody to Jesus. My greatest legacy is not going to be what Mike Dura does. If you, there was an article in the Christian Index Dr. Harris recently interviewed me about. My greatest legacy is boys that are doing far more than I'm doing, boys that are reaching more boys, grown men now, pastors, who are pastoring much larger churches than this, and reaching people for Jesus. Because just an ordinary joker, God used me in just a tiny way. God did all of it. God did all of it, but he uses you and me. He uses you to point people to Jesus. You may not be that superstar evangelist. You may not be the next Priscilla Shire, ladies' Bible teacher that my wife likes. But you can be somebody to bring them to Jesus. Millions have heard, but a lot of them have heard lies. So Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Giving proof that you're that new creation. We're not earning our salvation, but if you're genuinely saved, you're going to be different. So on that day when the Lord comes back, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy or preach in your name? We cast out demons in your name and do many powerful deeds in your name? The Word of God says, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible here, verse 23, Then I will, say to, I will declare to them, those who preached, those who cast out demons, those who did mighty things, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. One of the things that our staff read about in the book that we were reading together, Disciplines of a Godly Man, says there are no mere mortals in the world. There's, you don't encounter anybody that's just a mere mortal. Everybody that I encounter and everybody you encounter is a soul that's going to spend eternity in one or two places, heaven or hell. There is no in-between. When my heart takes its final beat, my eternity is sealed at that moment. There are no accidents with the people that we encounter. There's no accident that God put this church on this hill in 1874 in the East Hall community to impact our community, our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but it starts right here. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I confess to you, even as your pastor, there are times I don't consciously say I'm ashamed of the gospel. Usually for me, I'm just, I get too busy. I'm on a mission. You know, if, I, if I'm out of my house, if I'm going to a store, I got something on my mind, I want to get it, kill it, bag it, and get out of there. That's usually what I'm guilty of. I got to remember I'm not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, and it alone is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. We've got Holy Spirit power in us. Gospel dynamite, Romans 1.16 says. And listen, when people are hopeless and helpless and we live in difficult days right now, that's breeding grounds for evangelism. When people are hurting and they're looking for answers, it's the perfect time they need to know the only hope that will matter a thousand years from now. Heard one old preacher said, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. God says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men to go out and reach disciples. So the task is overwhelming. You say, I'm just one person. I'm just one dude or one lady. What difference can I make anyway? Heard about a little boy in Florida after a tropical storm had come through, and there were starfish all over the beach. You may have heard this before. And they said that little boy was out there picking them up, picking them up and throwing them in the water, picking them up and throwing them in the water. And some old codger came along and said, son, what are you doing? 
There's like thousands of these jokers. You're not going to be able, what difference are you going to make? It doesn't make any difference. Little boy picked up another one and threw it in the ocean. He said, it made a difference to that one. You see, I might not reach thousands, but it'll make a difference if I can reach one. It'll make a difference if you can reach one. Some Christians say, well, I'd go and tell, but that's not my spiritual gift. Yes, there is a spiritual gift of evangelist. You don't have to have that specific spiritual gift to be a witness. It just means maybe you're not as bold. You have to look for more creative ways. Some things we don't have to pray about doing, God's already said to go. God's not like Rabbit Town Cafeteria down here. When I go to Rabbit Town, I say, hmm, I like the window shop. I kind of like step ahead and see what they got for I make up my mind. I forget about the potato salad at the end. That stuff's good. And I forget about it. But I window shop. I say, what do I want? What do I not want? That's not the way the Word of God is. I don't get to skim through the Bible and say, well, I like that command. I like that command. I'll do this. I'll do this. But I ain't, tell, I ain't sharing my faith. If that's the case, I got to wonder, do you really know him? Have you been set free? Have your sins been forgiven? Because it is not an option. Missionary Hudson Taylor, one of the great missionaries, said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. So start with the relationships you already have. Start with the relationships in your realm of influence. How much does it mean for one soul to miss hell? If we only see one person saved and baptized in the next year, we'll probably say, well, man, we didn't, we didn't reach a lot of people. It would matter to that one. They're not going to hell anymore. If you only reach one person for the rest of your life, and listen, 90% of Christians never share their faith. Chew on that one for just a minute. So I got to say, are, are those 90%, are they really genuinely saved? Or are they that hard-headed and disobedient? But most Christians don't share their faith. You say it's only one. What if it was your youngin? What if it was your mama? What if it was your daddy? How much is that soul worth? I heard about a shoe salesman years ago. They sent him to Africa to an area where most people didn't wear shoes and they wanted to expand their brand in that area. And he went and he tried and he tried and tried. People didn't wear shoes in that part of Africa they sent him to. And he telegrammed back, I'm coming home. Don't none of these people wear shoes. So later on, they sent another shoe salesman down there. And they didn't hear from him for a while. And finally, he telegrammed back, listen, none of these people wear shoes. There's prospects everywhere. Send me some more shoes. Listen, we're surrounded by prospects everywhere. 86% of people in our state don't even go to church. Of that 14% who do go to church, some are believing a false gospel, and some are just sitting there, and they've never done anything with the Lord. Look at your conclusion here, number one. Do you love God enough to obey him by telling others of his saving love? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just that simple. If I don't keep his commandments, I don't love him like I ought to. Number two, do you love your friends and family enough to tell them of his love? You see, my prime motivation is the Lord. I got to do it out of love for him. And if I truly love him, then I'm going to have a love for people that I don't have if I don't love him like I ought to. Do you love your friends and family enough to tell them of his love? Number three, I'm going to put you on the spot. Will you join us this afternoon at five o'clock as we pray and as we go? That is going to be our main thrust for the foreseeable future, praying over homes, asking God to do in homes what we can't do. And if the Lord sends them to airline, that's just kind of like a cherry on top. I wish he'd send them to airline that we can love on them. But if they get saved and go to another Bible-believing church, have we expanded the kingdom of God or not? It's all about building a kingdom mindset. But we would love for them to come here. We're going to do that. You say, I've never, preacher, I ain't never done nothing like that in my life. You just come. 
We'll go with you. We'll walk with you. We'll get that list of names. We'll pray. Some people prayed in our car. My wife and I prayed in the car the last time we did this over the names. And I would walk up to the door. She would stand at the street, and she would tell me the name. And as I'm going to the door, I'm just kind of praying silently for the family. But I'm going to leave that door hanger for and invite them to airline. It's just that simple to do. And then number four, if you have no desire to tell the good news, have you truly experienced a personal relationship with him? If you have no desire to tell people about Jesus, you may very well be the prospect. You may very well be the next one who needs to get saved. Because you see, I don't understand everything about God. I just believe it because the Bible says it. But one day, that last person is going to get saved. One day, there's going to be a last person in human history to bow their knee and say, I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I believe Jesus died for me. Will you forgive me? Come into my life and save my soul and give me a brand new set of desires. One day, the last person is going to do that. And then God's going to turn and say, all right, Blow that trumpet, go home and get my children. I don't know what that's going to be. It may be this morning. It may be this afternoon as we pray and go. Our main goal today is just to pray and to make a touch. But you may get to encounter some people. You say, well, that scares me to death. Don't let that scare you to death. you got Holy Spirit power living inside of you. Take some invite cards. Share that with them if you don't know what to say. If you have no desire to tell the good news, have you truly experienced that personal relationship with him? Years ago, there was a, a huge fire at the Iroquois Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Over 600 people perished in that fire. The story was told of one young lady who miraculously survived the fire. She was burned over most of her body. Her hair was burned. Her eyebrows were burned. Her clothes were burned. And she was just sobbing and sobbing uncontrollably when they got her out of there. And somebody trying to encourage her said, but ma'am, you're alive. Aren't you thankful you're alive? She said, you don't understand. Yes, I'm thankful I'm alive, but I didn't do anything to save anybody else. And she was broken hearted. Yes, she was alive, but she didn't do anything to save anybody else. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and say, God, I made it through the fire. I don't have to go to hell because hell is a place of eternal flames that burns forever and ever. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just what the Bible says. We don't want to be like that woman that maybe we're going to heaven, but we don't bring anybody else with us. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. Would you pray with me, church? Why don't you just take a minute right now. If you're a, if you're a believer, you've given your heart and your life to Jesus, thank God for the one who shared Jesus with you. Maybe it was your mama, dad, a preacher, youth pastor, children's pastor. Maybe it was a group of friends. Thank God for those who share Jesus with you. Personally, you, thank God for saving your soul. Listen, there's not a perfect person here today. We're all sinners. But thank God we're not what we used to be when we've given our life to Jesus. Thank God for saving your soul. If you have been a faithful soul winner, give glory to God. And for you to say, God, thank you for giving me the boldness to share the truth of your gospel. It's not about us. It's about what he's doing through you. If you say, oh, preacher, it's been a long time since I've done that. Or maybe you've never told anybody about the Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Seek the Lord's forgiveness right now. Ask him to forgive you for not caring that people are perishing by fire all around us. <laughs> Commit to the Lord. Hey, maybe I can't walk house to house, but I can drive a car. Maybe you can't walk to house house to house and maybe you can't even drive a car but you can sit in a car and pray while other people go this afternoon at five it's not just this afternoon we've had ladies come by the church during the week and say can we have some more cards and some of our senior ladies have been out going door to door in neighborhoods planting seeds of the gospel will you do that 
Father, we don't want to just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers also. Help us to live lives of obedience because you are worthy, because our chains are gone, because we've been set free. Lord, I pray there'll be a spirit of freedom in this building today, that people who need to come to the altar will come to the altar and do business with you. For that soul who is terrified about the flames of eternity apart from you that needs to be saved, God, draw them to yourself today. Let them know there's people in this building that would love nothing more than to tell them how they can know you in a real and a personal way. Lord, for the one who says, oh, I know I'm saved, but I've been kind of quiet about it. I'm scared of what people will say about me. It's time for you to bust out of that timidity and fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7, but power, love, and a sound mind. It's time for you to be bold for Jesus because time's running out. God's given us the two-minute warning of history. Maybe you need to be public in your faith and say, hey, can I want to talk to somebody about being baptized, being public in my faith. If you're looking for a church to unite with the way six people did last week, you say, I believe in what God's doing at Airline. I believe the Bible like y'all believe the Bible, the Great Commission, the Greatest Commandment. I want to get in on that. If you're praying about a church to join, come and talk to one of our pastors today. We'd love to tell you how you can be a part of the airline family. God, in these final moments, our prayer is we just want to be obedient. We just want to give you glory. We want to connect people with you and live lives that bring you glory. May it start even now in this moment of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Everything okay between you and the Lord? If it is, let's stand together as we sing, come to the altar. If you need to come to the altar physically, come to the altar and pray and do business with the Lord. If you want to bring a, a, a spouse or a child or a friend or somebody from your life group, let's come and pray and let's ask God to give us a burden for this community like we've never had. May it start right now. If you need to talk to one of our pastors about a spiritual commitment, that's why we're here. You come now as we sing. Are you hurting
Isn't he worth telling somebody about? Say this after me. Jesus is, Jesus is the, best thing the best thing that has ever happened, that has ever happened to, me. to me. And if that's the case, don't you want to tell somebody about him? Amen. Be seated for just a moment. I've got an awesome family I want to introduce to you. Some of you know this dear family. They were members here years ago, and the Lord moved them away, and now they're back. They've been visiting. They've been praying about being a part of our church family and recognizing COVID restrictions and health and all of that stuff. We're just going to ask them to stand. We've got Chad, Joanna, Kenneth, and Eva Henderson. Y'all are back here, right? Would you just stand and let our folks see you? They all know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. I've heard from a Amen. <coughs> we just had an instant connection. We're bulldog brothers, right, Chad? I enjoy talking to, to Chad. We look forward to getting to know this dear family better. And I've heard from so many of you how beautifully this lady plays the French horn. I can't wait to hear that. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I guess I just did. So forgive me for that in the Lord's timing. But we are so thankful to have them come back to Airline Baptist Church by way of letter this morning. Amen? Amen. So if you don't know them, take the time to get to know them. But we'll maintain social distance and all that good stuff. We love y'all. We look forward to growing together with you and serving the Lord with the Henderson family until he comes back to get us again. Amen? Pastor Andrew, come and close us out. All right, I'm going to try to hobble my way up here while I climb the stairs like that. Hey, uh, it was a good Sunday here, wasn't it? Amen. It was good. I thought worship was really good. Message was good. I love Pastor talking about getting a heart for lost people because I was lost once. And I know what it feels like to be lost. And, man, getting saved, that was the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And so it just took one person deciding to share Jesus with me for me to step into knowing that when I step into eternity, I'll see Jesus and I'll be ready for him. And so a great opportunity this afternoon to do the pray and go. Um, another opportunity that's coming up, Chase wanted me to mention, is that April 22nd here, it's a Thursday night from six to nine, we're gonna have a seminar, um, a guy named Mark Newman, I think is his name, Mark Newman? His name is Dr. Mark Newman, he's, a, he's an apologist. And so he's gonna teach you a lot about defending your faith. Um, he also is a big uh, pro-life guy. And so he can give you uh, help on when you get in the, in the world and whatnot, people start just challenging you in your faith. How do you, how do you respond back to them? And it's free, it's free. So we're just gonna open up the doors on that Thursday night. You guys come listen to that and be a part of that. It's a chance to grow. Speaking of connecting, what pastor was talking about today, men, it's been a minute, hasn't it? It's been a minute. Just know that our time is coming again to gather together, to connect, uh, it's going to be coming here up in the next few weeks, so be ready. If some of you guys were at our previous fight night, you guys know how awesome it was. Uh, working on some details of that, and once we finalize those, we'll let you all know about it. But that's what I have for you guys today. This Wednesday night, we're picking up, picking back up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Got, uh, let's pray. I started to pray without telling you we're about to. Let's pray. Just thank God for what he's done for us today. So God, thank you for today. A chance to come and gather, a chance to worship. God, that I pray that our, our worship is just worthy of uh, just giving you nothing but praise. God, it's all we can give to you is just more and more and more praise. And that all we can do, God, is be obedient to what you've called us to do. So we love you, God, as we go out this week. And just give us that heart for those people. We love you and praise your name. Amen.